When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Zolgad and Collar. And gentlemen, let's start here. The biggest thing is that what we want to do is we want to get work done against a good team. Okay? So it's important that uh, our guys know that we're not going to put up with any trash talking. We're not going to put up with any fighting. You know, we're not here for that. We're here to get better. And, uh, I, I, you know, hopefully our guys will know that. And they'll have the same thing. I mean, uh, Coach Marone and I have talked about it. So uh, we're really all about getting work done. We don't want to get <clears throat> in any kind of conflicts like they had apparently in Washington. I didn't see it, but things like that. Matthew Collar, two days of joint practices uh, begin today at the TCL Performance Center between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Vikings leading up to their game on Saturday at uh, at U.S. Bank Stadium. What is your confidence that Zim and your guy, uh, Marone, can actually stop any potential Did you just say your guy, Marone? You're, you can't stand him, so he's your guy. <laughs> well, I mean, you covered him and you said he's a complete you-know-what. So... We talked about this two days ago, but Zim put the edict out there. No fighting. This is going to be all good, hard work. What are the odds that we will not see any pushing, shoving, fisticuffs, or nastiness on these fields? I think that we will. Uh, maybe not fisticuffs. Maybe not one of those uh, you know giant fights that turns into national news for a week. But maybe just pushing and shoving. Things could get a little heated, a little testy maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's gonna be, is it gonna be hot today? I haven't looked. I'd have to look. I think it's gonna be. A, I think it's gonna be a little more tepid than it has been the past few days. So that, that's gonna help. I think in the 80s maybe, but less yeah. humid. We're still My getting. We're still 5 getting eighty-five. Yeah. Okay. We're still getting eighty-five. If the humidity's down, o'clock. that helps. So yeah, that does help a little, but because it's been really hot out there the last couple days, I think we still get a little bit of it. But with Mike Zimmer, I you know I think these guys follow what Zimmer says. So probably not anything too serious. So have you changed your uh, your thought process on, on these joint practices then? Because I'm I'm still with you. I don't. And I saw we we talked about this uh, two days ago on Monday on the show and about how that was coming off the Jets Washington joint practices where there were a bunch of fights, and we both said you do this and you're sort of tempting fate at times. And I get why teams like this. Now I read an article that evening saying that coaches actually love the joint practices more than preseason games because they feel that they can control things and they yeah. feel they can stop play and actually avoid guys being hurt. I see what they're saying, but it also strikes me, Collar, as sort of the God complex a little bit of if I can control things, it's going to be fine. 
I'm not sure I'm buying across the board that uh, that you can that coaches can control in those cases as much as they say they can. What I'm really surprised and confused about is after you go 13 and three last season and you generally stay very healthy throughout the year, aside from two random acts. I mean, whatever happened to Sam Bradford's knee and then you know Delvin Cook going down, but the rest of the roster stayed almost 100 percent healthy for the full season. And then you're adding something different to the mix to have the joint practice with Jacksonville. And the year before, you had a joint practice, right? Was it Cincinnati that they that yes, they went up against? They went to uh, they went there and practiced for a couple of days, and then played an exhibition game out there with uh, Teddy. And they had a lot of injuries that year, so I, I don't know. I mean, if it was me, I would try to do everything the same as I had done it the year that I went thirteen and three. But I guess you know it's probably no big deal overall that a number of teams do this, and it probably doesn't have an impact one way or the other. The thing that I go back to, though, was Joe Thomas on his podcast saying that he thought that these joint practices were so much extra work for players that they should get paid for them. He said players despise them. They don't want to do it. It's a ton of work. Uh, that a lot of guys are going twice as hard as they normally would be in practice when they're trying to conserve uh, some of their energy th- for a long season. I mean, I already see this from these guys, like getting kind of worn down in camp and just trying to drag to the end of camp so they could get that little break in between of where it just goes to regular practice. And then you add this on top of that, mm-hmm. and they've already got a bunch of guys dinged up. I mean, I, I don't know where Everson Griffin is, for one. I, I don't know if he's injured or not. He hasn't been at practice. He's got something wrong, but but they won't say, correct? Right. So that's not a good sign. Can I ask you a question? And I've covered this too, so I just, I don't get it. Why are injuries so taboo? Like if a guy, I just, I, I don't get it. What do, do they get, do coaches get frustrated in talking about these things? Do they not want to? Do, do they think if Griffin's ankle is screwed up and they tell a team that a team is going to spend a year targeting it? I mean, I understand that you don't want to give a play-by-play of what happened to a guy or what's wrong, but it's like jump the shark now where Todd Bowles uh, ripped Terrell Pryor for admitting what, what was wrong with him. And, you know, Zim has spent all of training camp, basically. I mean, he looked around proudly the day he announced, I don't have to tell you. Yep. Why the why the why the paranoia about something that ultimately you just can't control in life? And you have to tell us eventually. When it comes yeah. to the regular season, you are forced to announce what your injuries are then. So why not just say what's going on with guys now? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm not mad, I'm not mad about it. I'm confused. I'm confused that coaches spend so much brain power on something that ultimately they can't control. I don't think that. Other teams go after guys' injuries like maybe they used to back in the day. Uh, or even then, like if someone has a, a tweaked groin or hammy, like what, what difference does that make? You know, if you don't put that out there. But okay, all right, if you don't want to do that, then we just speculate about everything. But so I don't know what's going on with Everson Griffin. Uh, Mike Zimmer would only say yesterday, I don't talk about injuries, but he's close. Don't worry or something. It was like, is he watching us right now? Uh, so, and, you're not, and by the way, Mike, you're not wor- you're not worried about it. You're just curious because he's yeah. not taking part. And, and that's the only way you can kind of figure out what's going on is just to sort of you have to still ask and you have to sort of gauge those reactions from Zimmer. Um, but the thing is that. The, the point is just that they have already guys dinged up. Sure. Stacy Coley wasn't practicing yesterday. Rashad Hill wasn't practicing yesterday. Is, is Barr still out? 
Uh, Anthony Barr was back okay. yesterday, so I would expect that he'll probably play in this upcoming preseason game, and then we'll go from there. Um, but when you already have guys dinged up a little bit, and then you're going in a hard joint practice where they're kind of turning it up, you know, there's the, there's that opportunity there for some other guys to get hurt, and any risk of that to me would be too much. So I'm not a big fan of this. Probably overall, it doesn't become a huge thing. Would mm-hmm. be my guess. Give, give me your best guess about if if this goes uh, as well as possible, Collar. If things work out great, what is what is the most that the Vikings get from these two days that they wouldn't if they if they just held their ordinary training camp practices? Like like what do you, what do you get that you say? Thank God we practiced against the Jacksonville Jaguars because if it had been Vikings versus Vikings, we wouldn't have gotten this. The one thing you might get that's nice is just a look at a defense that plays differently than yours. So if Mike Zimmer said this yesterday, that a few of the teams in the league play a similar defense to what the Jaguars do, that they're going to play. So a few teams on their schedule are similar defensively to the Jaguars. So you kind of get a look at how you match up against that type of defense and it might be the same thing for you know on the offensive side where maybe they have some weapons or a system that you know you want to try to defend so you get a little practice at that because you're not going to get any practice at that in the preseason games Mm -hmm. As, as much as we focus on how those go and everything i mean look at the defense they were playing against kirk cousins the other night i mean just like Straight man. We call it vanilla. Base defense. Yeah, that's right. The vanilla. Like, they're not trying. They're not scheming. Maybe later in the game they are a little bit to see if some of those guys understand concepts, the third and fourth stringers. But aside from that, I mean, you don't really get much out of it. So this might help you in that way. And then also the two coaches get to get together and the coaching staffs and they get to say, okay, what worked, what didn't, and, you know, what are you guys doing that we can pick up on? Because these two teams don't play each other and it's AFC, NFC. Right. At so, what, so they can kind of help each other. At what point today are you going to walk across the field, extend your hand, and welcome Doug Marone? My hand? Who, I'm going to hug you, him. Who you covered. Who, who You're going to give a man hug to a guy who you covered in Buffalo and thought was mm. one of the top ten National Football League coaches of all time. <laughs> Clearly one of the best. It goes Lombardi, yeah. maybe Belichick, uh-huh. yep. throw Hank Stram in, but after that, Doug Marone. He said there was a quote that he had that... He said something like, if I get this team to the playoffs, I'm a miracle worker or something like that with with the Buffalo Bills. Now, the the story with Doug Marone was kind of fascinating because he got there and sort of brought a college coach mentality to dealing with the media and things like that. So he was like super enthusiastic. He was trying to be kind of Rex Ryan-y, like his, his interviews would be fun and he was just, you know, very chatty and everything else. But then something happened with the beat guys in the, in the media. Of course it did. Well, you know, I, I believe it went to an incident where he said that somebody was going to start and then they didn't. And then one of the reporters called him a liar, which I would never do myself. I mean, I, th- I think that's kind of ridiculous to do that. But I agree with you. I mean, a lot. Okay, they lie to it's us sp- constantly. It's, it's part of the it's game. Sports line. It's sports It's actually part of the fun it's sports line. cat and mouse game we play with each other. You tell us something that's not true. We try to figure out what the truth is. Absolutely. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so I, I would, I mean, Zimmer can't always tell us the truth. I would never call him a liar, right? But because uh, it's part of the game that we play. However, that seemed to really turn things the wrong way. And then when there were a lot of struggles with him managing his team, he had players who were kind of going rogue or, uh, you know, going against things that he said. He lost track of when a player was in a game once and left a star player on the sideline for a half. What? 
Jerry Hughes, I believe, was the player, was supposed to be taken out for a couple plays to cool down after he'd gotten in a little bit of a scuffle. Sure. And he ended up missing the whole half. And Marone basically said that he just lost track of him. And it was like, excuse me? You lost track of a star pass rusher? Uh, so there were, I can't remember every incident, but Fred Jackson, who was a veteran running back, called him out over practice schedules. He and Hughes got into it in practice. I mean, it ended up being kind of a bleep show how, as how we go along. How do you lose along. track of a player? I yeah. mean, I, yeah, I don't know. We were asking a scrub the same thing. Player, yeah. But how do you lose track of a guy who's actually vitally important to your yep. team? There, and then there were just a large number of punts from the other team's 35 yard line that just drove everybody crazy. So we. It's not at, as bad as losing track of a player. So at one time, it was, a, it was never that we thought that Doug Marone couldn't coach football or mm-hmm. didn't know football because I think he really does. I think he is a very, very smart football person. It was the game management and then the player person management mm-hmm. that he really struggled with and then struggled even more when he got criticized. And some of these guys, I mean, Zimmer is almost the same way here. If you're a coordinator, the only time anyone comes up to talk to you is to go, hey, coach, tell me why Xavier Rhodes is real good. And you're like, oh, I'm the defensive coordinator. That's all they're asking me today. That's great. Well, Xavier is very tall and very fast. He's great. When you're the head coach, it's <laughs> that you are the magnet for criticism for everything that happens to the team, whether it's your fault or not. And I don't think that he liked that. Maybe his second time through, it's different. Maybe the Jacksonville media is a lot less harsh. Um, he took over a team that hadn't made the playoffs in, I think at that time, maybe a decade or more. So maybe maybe it's a little different situation, but, but we're not, not going to bro hug. But I'm basically hearing you say he doesn't have people skills, which which is okay if it's just with the media, but if it's with your players, that becomes a problem. Yeah, it was both. In Buffalo, like, it was both. Like, Zim doesn't care about the media, which I'm fine with, but I feel I feel in the locker room, he is liked and respected. And so that's all that ultimately is important is that the players like him. Well, I think that... Or, or respect him. Not even like him. Respect him probably is the best word. I think he learned. I think Zimmer learned from his experience in 2016 of certain things that he can and cannot draw from Bill Parcells these days. Um, and that last year he applied some of that even when they went through tough times early in the season. He didn't call his players soft or anything like that, and he stayed with the message of believing in his players. And so that's what we've heard already about the offensive line, that he has stayed with, I believe in these guys, they're tough, I think they can do it, as opposed to tipping his hand I to the, old days. the offensive line. I yeah, miss so, the old days. But I think these guys are a bunch of softies, and this interior line's <laughs> terrible, and my God, I hope I get my regulars back. I miss the old Zim. But I think he's, I think he's learned a no, little bit. Has. I think he's learned he's a, a smart little guy. bit. And maybe, and maybe Doug has too. That was his first experience as an NFL head coach, and I, Zimmer has said before how hard that is because yep. you're just not ready for it no matter how much football you've been around in your life. Yeah, Kyle Rudolph, yep. can you ask... Uh, can you answer what are his yards after the catch? I'll give him six foot eight, and so I'll give him the two yards when he falls forward. <laughs> but but beyond that, what are his yards after the catch? And second question is: Is it what are the chances that the Vikings might trade one of these defensive backs or uh, someone who isn't going to start for us for an offensive lineman? Okay, Thanks, qu- Paul. Uh, question number one. I think was a rhetorical question. So I'll just agree with you, but also say that, um, how could I put this right? You know, maybe you are, uh, maybe you're dating someone and you just can't stop focusing on their shortcomings. And you just say, you know what? I think we got to break up. You just, you leave the socks all around and I keep asking you to pick them up and you just won't stop. And I, we're, we're just done. 
I'm so tired of this laundry issue. And then uh, then you date somebody else, and they're a um, sociopath. And you're like, oh, oh, I really shouldn't have made so much of the socks. The toothpaste being off the <laughs> yes. tube really wasn't, or the cap wasn't that big a deal, sweetheart. That's Kyle Rudolph. Because... <laughs> I understand Kyle Rudolph. <laughs> I love it. I understand. That was too good. That, that was fantastic. Okay, Kyle sorry. Rudolph is not a great blocker. Yeah. Kyle Rudolph does not run a 4-4. Yeah. He catches everything that comes his way. He had the lowest drop rate in the NFL last year among tight ends. Number one. He is open in the red zone even when he's not open. You could toss the ball up to him at the back of the end zone, and he will reach up and grab it. And on third down last year, he was actually quite good because Pat Shermer found sneaky little ways to get him the ball because other teams felt the same way as our caller of like, oh, well, he's not really a threat on this particular play on a, on a third and short, or they won't throw him a screen, and they would do that, and he'd get the three yards required. So it's not perfect. He's not Travis Kelsey, he's not Zach Ertz, but he's a good NFL tight end. That's where you have to stand right now, I mm-hmm. think. And if you think someone else is going to come up and take his job that they have now, you're wrong. That, that, they, be, that being said, uh, quickly here, though, he is a candidate probably to have his contract reworked after yeah, 2018, correct? Yeah, that's true, okay. yep, but they have no answer behind him. And you know how many good tight ends there are in the league? Like six or seven. Uh, of all the tight ends in the league, ones who are effective in even some way or another, yep. there's only a, a couple. And and the, but the ones who are really good get so much pub that it's kind of like the um the the bikini models or whatever who also have like uh, MBA from Harvard like they get on the magazine so yeah. you're like oh I just want one of those you're like well look I get that but she's probably not going to date you so right. yeah you got no chance yeah um so you should probably just focus so on is Kyle being in the happy next, with the person that you have is Kyle in the next <laughs> tier, in tier two then yeah oh yeah yeah hundred percent so it's tier yeah. it's tier one it's, with the Gronk is number one. Yep. Ertz is number two. Kelsey's number three. Uh, Delaney Walker is probably right after that from Tennessee. And they're all tier one. The, they're easily, all tier easily one. tier one. And then tier two has Past Rudolph. that, though, is Kyle Rudolph. Sure. Like, he's probably your seventh or eighth best tight end in the league. So when you get upset that he's not running after catch, remember that he caught it. Because a lot of the other tight ends are not open, don't catch it, and are not a red zone threat. So there's there's the big Kyle Rudolph answer. All right. Uh, When it comes to making a trade, well, they made one last year for a cornerback in Tremaine Brock. So even though he made no impact on the team, that was a trade that they made. Trades toward the end of camp are always possible. And I don't see a very good offensive line answer right now Mm -hmm. in Tom Compton or Danny Sidora or Aviant Collins. I don't think any of those guys are starting players in the NFL at this very moment. Isadora maybe has the best chance there. So, yeah, uh, I don't know about trading a one-for-one, but if somebody is going to cut a veteran guard and they call around and they say, look, will you give us a sixth or a conditional fifth or something? This is what I think. Yes, the answer is yes. I think this is what they do. So I think I don't that, know at what point, but yeah. I think this is what. So I I a hundred percent think that they will be making phone calls as we lead up to the end of camp. Maybe the Jaguars will forget a lineman here, like he'll defect. He'll defect to the Vikings. Yeah, he probably would like to. Well, yeah. The I mean, ja- it's the nice. Jaguars, the weather's nicer in Jacksonville in December, but actually, you know, you know what the most potentially, and I'm not being a, a smart ass here. You know what the what the benefit of this entire joint practice might be for two days. Word of mouth is going to start to spread 
about the TCO Performance Center. Yeah. And because if the Vikings players are like, oh, you should come see our facility, you'd be like, yeah, you play for the Vikings, right? Right. But if I'm with Jacksonville, and I, and by the way, I got to live in Jacksonville. Oh, God help you. <laughs> I mean, Northern Florida is awful. And I like Florida, but Northern Jacksonville is just crap. And I got to live in Jacksonville. <laughs> and I get up here to this place and I see this place. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, one, your training camp is held here. It's fantastic. Two, it's nice and cool here. So I, I, yeah, it's humid, but nothing compared to Florida, right? Or at Atlanta, basically, because Jacksonville is basically Georgia. So I think you're going to get a lot of guys be like, that was unbelievable. That place was great. And meanwhile, I'm stuck in Jacksonville. We all should get out of Buffalo and Jacksonville. Everyone wants to get out of Buffalo anyway. And, and what a, you know, <laughs> any potential hellhole. Uh, but... As, as far as um, as, as far as what the TCO Performance Center does, I think it does help them keep players. They're not going to have any money to spend to get anybody here, but it because they spent it on all the guys that they are going to keep. Well, right now, but they will, but they will again next next summer or next spring. I should. Say, I was just thinking, kind of like when um, you know the Dominican baseball team would come over and play, and somebody. Oh, you're talking out the about the, the old school defection. Yeah. yeah. No, and uh, when that could be the Jaguars. When I was a kid, that that <laughs> was prevalent in hockey. Oh, with the Russians. The Russians yeah. would de- and Czechoslovakia. Yeah. They they would defect and come play. That that's how at least it started, where you'd get players who would. De- In fact, the North Stars had a defenseman, Frankie Musil, was his name, and I think they snuck him out of Czechoslovakia with Louis in a car, Nanny in a car, and I think Frankie was in the trunk. So there's a great so story with man. Alex Mogilny. Yeah. Where a guy that I know, Don Luce, who is a um, former NHL player, and I know, then I remember Don. Luce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, I'm not proud of that, but I remember him. Great guy. So I got to know him a little bit in Buffalo, and he was over in Russia, literally sneaking Alex Mogilny to the airport in the same sort of thing. It was like some James Bond stuff. It uh-huh. was it. It was great. So yeah. maybe they could find a guard that they like on Jacksonville's roster and sort of. You know, sneak him out of the hotel. They're going to look around them. the plane yep. to go home to Jacksonville. It's going to be like, where's Ted? <laughs> yeah. And then, what happened to Ted? And then Ted just takes another guy's number and, and roster name, and you're just like, wait a minute. I thought that guy was a little bit taller. Like Cedric Lang. Like, he looks no, a little different not, today. You know? He looks a little more stout than he did yesterday. That's not Ted. <laughs> If uh, if Bortles wanted to defect, would you would you tell him he had to go back? Would oh, you not accept him? Hard hard pass on Blake, Blake Bortles. Blake, I'm sure you love Jacksonville. Your family's down there, right? <laughs> you don't want any part of Minnesota, Blake. No matter what I say about Kirk Cousins, he that, you know, the Vikings fans can thank goodness he's not Blake Bortles. And why the Jacksonville Jaguars stayed with Blake, I will never understand. I don't get it either. It's like that was the one piece. Move on from that piece. Go get Teddy. Uh, speaking of Teddy, I'd rather get Teddy. I, I do want to get to Jalen Ramsey and what he had to say about Kirk Cousins uh, in the next segment. But also there's some intriguing news out of New York on Teddy. Football! Football, yeah! Football! All right, Matthew Keller. Give us the lowdown before we get to the uh, Jalen Ramsey talking about quarterbacks. Give us the lowdown on your tees. What's up with Teddy Bridgewater? Oh, okay. Oh, sorry, I had. That's oh, okay. Other, I had the other thing. Take up. your time. I had the Casual thing conversation. Up. Yep, just moving on. Casual here. conversation. Twitter.com. Okay, so from Manish Meta of the New York Daily News, one of my favorite reporters there. Well respected. He says he posted an article this morning saying, Will the Jets turn a $1 million investment in Teddy Bridgewater into a premium draft pick or building block player? 
With confidence in Sam Darnold growing every day, the Jets are open for business. But, he says, not everyone wants to trade Bridgewater per sources. So, Mm. internally, the Jets seem to be battling a little over what to do with their quarterback situation. And here is the problem for the New York Jets. Where would they trade him? I can't find a spot. Well, didn't we talk about this? Right now, there's not a spot, but there inevitably will be a spot. Someone I mean, will somebody, get hurt. Yes. Somebody, hopefully it won't be as sincere, but somebody's going to have happened to them, what happened to the Vikings with Teddy a couple of years ago. Right. Like some a quarterback's knee is going to crumble. Yeah, so, or, or just so get fallen on if or you're the, something. Yeah. If you're the Jets and you want to trade him and turn him into a high draft pick, you're not even giving thought to that trade right now. Right. You're giving thought to, let's just let this play out because n- nature will take its course. And eventually we're going to get a call from a panic-stricken GM who might be willing to give us a first-round pick or a second-round pick for sure. Right, yeah. And that's usually the going price is either a, a first or a second. And that's what you know. The, the Vikings were in more of a panicked position because they felt like they could be a Super Bowl contender in 2016. And I don't disagree with them. Yep. I, I went through it yesterday. Just you know how this goes where we're in day 69 of camp here and it's just been like so long and so we're we're just talking about whatever and we ended up going back through the 2016 season and found we found them i believe 12 and 4 like if a bunch of if a bunch of small little things hadn't happened they could have been 12 and 4 in 2016 or at least 11 and 5 yeah. so if you remember the crazy kick from Matt Prater that's one. Yep, they the, win that game against Detroit. The late game interception against Detroit, that's two. Yep. The late game interception against Washington, that's three, right off the top of my head. Yep. So you could have been right there at least eleven and five on just those three plays. Well, they they legitimately in two thousand sixteen, they legitimately lost how many games? They legitimately lost at Philadelphia when when they were five and zero, oh, and Mike got mad. That was a legit loss, if I recall correctly. They legitimately did not try and or gave up and or something weird happened against the Colts. Yes. So, like, to pull that game out would have taken a complete reversal of that of that entire team. So that's two legit losses. I think the loss at Green Bay, for sure. But there were not, yeah, I mean, th- there were a lot of close calls, and you're right, they could have easily swept Detroit. Yeah, so Easily. Uh, anyway, that just sort of justifies what they were thinking, and maybe another team would be thinking the same thing. I mean, even... The Jaguars, they seem to be committed to Bortles, but if he got hurt, they would be the exact type of team who'd want to trade for Bridgewater. But if they're going through this, I mean, Sam Darnold was the youngest of all the quarterbacks to come out. Yep. There isn't really any reason to rush him. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So if they, if you were the Jets, would you would you rethink this and think Darnold looks good so far? But you're right. There's no reason. There is this whole notion of having to rush first-round QBs to me is an unnecessary thing. Like, you don't need to do it. Everybody now is convinced, oh my God, if my guy, if my first round rookie quarterback's not playing by week four, it's all gone wrong. But that's not true. Would the Jets be wise to say, you know what? Teddy's playing really well. Let's make him the starter. Let's give Darnold time. And eventually Sam will start. But you know, what's the very worst case? Teddy comes out and plays fantastic and starts 16 games. Yeah. So And the- Sam Darnold doesn't have to start. And I, I am convinced... That for the majority of rookie quarterbacks benefit from not having to play because as Polian talked about, and he's right, there's so much going on behind the scenes with meetings and strategies mm-hmm. and stuff that if you just spend the entire rookie year as a quarterback learning, it's not a bad thing. It's not an evil. The uh, tightrope that they have to walk is that Teddy Bridgewater's value might be at its highest right now. I mean, 
he was really good the other night. I mean, not just like, okay, he was really good. He was driving the ball. He ran at one point. He looked comfortable in the pocket. He was patient going through his reads. He was accurate. And that's what they've seen every day in training camp. So he's been really good. But you don't know what it's going to be like in real games still. So if he struggles or he has another injury or the knee just doesn't hold up and after five games of starting, then whatever value you had just went entirely in the tank. So they're kind of playing this weird game of chicken with trading Teddy Bridgewater that they might miss their opportunity entirely if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Or if he came in and played really well, but they lost a few games and they wanted to turn it over to Darnold and then someone else got hurt, they might have a, an extremely valuable asset. But then there's the other part of you got to do it soon enough where he's going to be able to learn the offense and play in it. I mean, mid-season, you remember Carson Palmer going to the Raiders, right? Yeah, mid-season. Mid-season is a disaster for a quarterback. But you could do it two weeks before with somebody who's really smart like Bridgewater. If you're the Jets, don't you play that game out? Like, I take my chances. And if his knee goes, it goes. But I think if I'm the Jets, I'm very tempted to say, let's just play this out. And, And if it's a game of chicken and we lose, we lose. But I would be tempted to start him, and I would be tempted to see, hey, if he plays well for a season for us, that's great. The other team, I think, that might come calling at some point here because they've left themselves in a terrible position, and and they are a they're a team that's expected to do a lot. It's the Rams. There's nothing behind Jared Goff. That's right. There yep. is. I mean, if Jared Goff's uh, leg goes out, yep. there's no one behind Sean him. Sean Mannion. Yeah, Sean Mannion's a joke. Uh, I mean, Sean Mannion can't play. So. They, they've left themselves in that vulnerable spot that the Vikings did with Sean Hill, where if something happens to Goff, yep. you can't just stand still. you got to go get something. And from a pure talent perspective, if Teddy Bridgewater is healthy, if he's the same Teddy Bridgewater, I think he is a more talented quarterback than Jared Goff. I think he's a better quarterback than Goff. So if Goff but Goff is, is definitely in that category. Uh, the team that is on our NFL network right now, Cincinnati. I mean, who's behind and by the way, we Andy are Dalton? Yeah, we are watching a are replay watching of Chicago and Cincinnati because football. Uh, let me just tell you what. Jalen Ramsey, who's not coming because he is suspended by the team for this week of practices for calling out local media. Oh, okay. Matt Barkley is their backup. So, yeah, exactly. So good luck with that. Yeah, Matt Barkley's good. Yeah. Uh, eight touchdowns, 18 picks for his career. So, yeah, if uh, Andy Dalton goes down, that's a team that could come calling. On Kirk Cousins, in a GQ article where they just asked him about a bunch of quarterbacks, he said, quote, I think he's good. I think he's a winner. I think he's a hell of a competitor. Coming off the play action, he's the best quarterback in the league. Play action passing, he's a hell of a quarterback. That's what he says about Kirk Cousins. Now, if you think, well, you know, he's just saying nice things about everybody. I could tell you that that is not true because in this same article, he demolished Josh Allen and said, I think Josh Allen is trash. He said, I don't care what anybody says. He's trash and he's going to show it too. By the way, me and Jalen Ramsey might be the same person. Uh, that's a stupid draft pick to, to me. This is what he said. This is a stupid draft pick to me. We play them this year and I'm excited as hell. That's what Jalen Ramsey said. He said that he thinks that Joe Flacco, quote, sucks and that they should play Lamar Jackson. So he's not elite? He says that Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are great. Tyrod Taylor is better than people think. That's probably true. And Matt Ryan is overrated. Now, that's where I might diverge a little bit, but I... Just explain why he thinks that about Matt Ryan. Uh, I'm missing that part of it, Um, because it's a a really long article where he goes through a bunch of different people. Go go back and tell us what he said about Cousins again. 
He said that Cousins is the best play action quarterback in the league, which is backed up by Ooh, that's going to um, that's going to be good. It's backed up by his numbers, but oh, okay. So he thinks that Julio Jones makes Matt Ryan better. He also thinks Antonio Brown makes Ben Roethlisberger better, mm-hmm. which I agree with both of those things. Any elite wide receiver is going to make you better. Especially with Roethlisberger in his later career, I think has played worse. Yeah, but Antonio Brown has made up a lot of the difference. So Jalen Ramsey, the most honest man in sports, taking the crown for Mike Zimmer here. Hey, how you doing, guys? Outstanding. First game uh, preseason. Yes. I loved how Mike Hughes looked. He played the party. Looked like he's ready to go. He was tight on coverage. Only thing I didn't like was he couldn't shed some blocks on some run plays. I liked O'Neal, Brian O'Neal. Uh, his first series, somebody blew a a, a, um, a missed block on a on a like a, an a gap blitz. I don't know if it was the guard or O'Neal, but after that, O'Neal stuck like flypaper to all his blocks. And remember back. When Trey Waynes was uh, in his rookie season, when they played the first game of the season, first preseason game against the Steelers, and Roethlisberger threw deep, Trey Waynes was beat by about like 20 yards for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. That's still his weakness. He's better on run plays, but you know, hopefully he gets better this year with some deep passes. But you know, so far, you know, you know, and then Kirk Cousins throws a couple lasers for. Uh, you know, completions. I like the way we look in that in that first se- first uh, preseason game. What do you guys think? Thanks, well, Bob. I, I th- agree with your assessment of the uh, two rookies. Yeah. No. I, and I I think that they both could start. I mean, there. I saw somebody write, and I forget whoa, who it was, but I, I saw whoa, the second. You did you just say what I think you said? I did. Mike Hughes. I'm not surprised by. Did I you just, did. Yes. What, I think what happened? They could both end up starting. Um, Rashad Hill started out the preseason with an illness, and then he did not play very well the other night. Uh, just the other day, after they get back for practice, he gets carted off the field with what appeared to be some sort of lower left leg injury. Of course, we don't talk about injuries, but since I saw him testing the lower left leg, I'm going to go ahead and guess that that was it. Uh, and, you know, he's a good fill-in player, but not as talented as Brian O'Neill. So even if Brian O'Neill was a little bit behind on some of the technique or putting on the weight, whatever else it might be, they might just say, look, he's so much better at getting out into the second level. And if he's holding strong on these pass protection drills that they're doing and stuff like that, they do one-on-one drills almost every day. And he has gotten so much better as they've gone along. It's very possible he could start, and I totally agree. He was really good the other night. Against second team, he was not facing Vaughn Miller, but he was really good. He didn't allow a single quarterback pressure. Uh, so, you know, that's that's possible. Um, and, of course, yeah, the first team looked great, but it should. I mean, or if it didn't, it wouldn't matter. If they if Cousins had thrown two picks yep. on his first two passes, I would have said it doesn't matter. So that means when he makes a great throw to Stephon Diggs, I also have to say it doesn't matter. Um, but that's been a lot of what we've seen in camp is he and Diggs have really been on the same page. I've got to stop you on the uh, rookie right tackle and back up a little bit here. I think it's possible. Okay. And I, I understand that he's looked good in practice, and he's uh, most importantly improved. But if you put him in a regular season game at that position, and you have, so you've got an upper echelon, and they're going against him, 
and you've got a team that's scheming on defense, don't you think it's too much? It uh, might be, but I also I mean, don't, think... Don't you think... And I'm not saying Rashad Hill's great either. I just I thought we, we were going to give Neil time to develop here, and that seems to me to be a drastic step to decide he could play week one or week two. It would be, but... Another part of it is that he's taken big steps forward from where he was at the end of college. And if you're talking about skill, like pure skill, pure talent, athleticism, all those things, uh, it's not really close between the two guys. There's a reason why one guy was an undrafted practice squad player, Rashad Hill, that sure. they ended up going out and getting. And Jackson, found, Jackson'sville, right? Yeah, and they found stole a gem. Like yeah. to, to get a guy who can play on your team and not be terrible... Uh, and potentially start off of somebody else's practice squad is a great find. Um, but O'Neill is the more gifted player. So even if he is a little bit behind, he could sort of play himself into it as long as he doesn't have his confidence implode, which he doesn't seem like that type of person. All right. Talk to him a number of times. He doesn't seem like that type of person. Because we don't want a TJ Clemmings yet. repeat yes. here. No, yeah. I mean, and TJ I, Clemmings was ruined as a yep. player. I and I think this might be a different guy than Clemmings, but that is the big concern. Now, if you look at the schedule, I think schedule matters for all this. If you were talking about the interior offensive line, DeForest Buckner could eat your soul. He's one of the best players in the league for San Francisco. But on the edge, they don't have an edge rusher that has 15 sacks or something. So, okay, you really face your biggest challenge when it comes to Philadelphia in what week five? That's that's the first the sun, time. That's the Sunday. Is that the Sunday game after the Rams Thursday? Yes, that's the first time. So I, the time that's the there. first time. Just looking at their schedule and who they play. Yeah, where I would be actually really concerned for Brian O'Neill based on who he's going up against. Unless I'm missing someone. I mean, Green Bay doesn't have a, an edge rusher. Mike Daniels is their guy. They don't have an edge rusher where you go, oh my gosh, he's going to get eaten alive. Uh, the Bills have Jerry Hughes, but he comes off the left. So they probably, I mean, Shaq Lawson might be the guy. That's right. kind of a bust at this point. You're not super concerned about that. The Rams' one weakness on their entire defense in week four is an edge rusher that they don't really have. So you might be able to survive that and get his feet wet and prepare him to face some of the better ones that you're going to go down the stretch, including Cameron Jordan and Brandon Graham, who ate up Rashad Hill in the playoffs last year. I think there's a good, there's a decent chance he starts. That's pretty interesting. Give me your story yesterday. When, when you asked the head coach of the Vikings, <laughs> this is a great story, I love this, about if he had watched week one of Hard Knocks. Now, week two with the Browns was on last night, and I DVR'd it but have not watched it yet. But what did Mike Zimmer, What? give me your exchange with Mike when you asked him about uh, Hard Knocks. So I, I said, Mike, did you watch uh, Hard Knocks the other night? Because he's really good friends with Hugh Jackson. Hugh comes to the ranch, they watch tape all night long and have a great time. And uh, Hugh Jackson talked about, as he was going through the 0-16 season last year, really leaning on Mike Zimmer, um, calling him late at night and things like that. So I said, did you watch Hard Knocks? You know, because he was on it. And Zimmer says, no. <laughs> and I said, I, I actually went back through the audio to get exactly what I said. I said, it's worth it. You should take my advice and we'll talk about it next time. And he goes, what, when? In my spare time? <laughs> and then to, after that, he said... To me, well, when did you get time to watch Hard Knocks? And I said, right after I broke down the tape. And then he goes, you break down the tape? What tape? And I was like, the last game, the preseason game. And he's like, what about the practice tape? I said, I don't have the practice tape. Can you send it to but me? That, this is what yeah. I love. <laughs> yeah. Send me right. the practice right. tape. I said, send me the practice tape. I'll break it down. 
And, uh, you know, then, then he laughed. But then I asked him what he thought of it. And he actually said, because he had been on Hard Knocks in Cincinnati. Three times. And also Dallas. Dallas, Dallas one year in like 90, in like 93, or early on. Yeah, very and early then, Hard Knocks. And then back, and then he, he was on it twice with, Cincinnati, and it was one of those where he swore up a storm and became yes. a star. Yes, yes, like, yes. Like they loved him on Hard yeah. Knocks. And he said, so his exact quote was, I've done it two or three times. It didn't bother me, which is surprising yep. for Mike Zimmer. Yep. He says, uh, I did hear about the argument between the two coordinators. I don't think you want that on Hard Knocks, but I think it's great for fans. So he didn't really seem to have a problem with being on it, and maybe the Piner Press. Year. The Piner Press asked him about it. In fact, after after episode one of the Browns was on a week ago, um, I googled it. The Piner Press, after Mike was hired here, asked him if he would be adverse to being on it, and he said absolutely not. Yeah, he said. I think he. I think he likes the fact that it challenges people. I think he likes the fact that it's this extra, like. It's funny. Football people hate distractions, but if they feel they can control the distraction, mm-hmm. they like it as a challenge. And so, yeah, he, he had told the uh, Pioneer Press in 2014 or 15 the same exact thing, that, that he wouldn't be adverse to it. Now, the issue with the Vikings right now is there's three factors that keep you off or can p- potentially keep you off that show. One is you've got a first-year head coach, which the Vikings obviously do not, but right. they did at that time. Uh, the other is you made the playoffs in the past two years, and then there's a third one as well. But the Vikings un- under the playoff scenario of the fact that they've made the playoffs now in the past couple of years are exempt from it. I could see if they approached Zimmer about doing it, I could see him saying yes. I don't know. I could ever see Rick Spielman saying yes. Yeah, that's true. That's I think true. he'd be the guy who'd say, no, 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 no. I want to fly below the r- radar, and I don't want the attention. And with Zimmer, though, he knows or has to at least have an inkling that him on Hard Knocks, like everyone would just come away loving him. And really, the thing about Mike Zimmer is when you talk to other people around the league, not just like Vikings players who are going to have to tell you, but even off the record, they might tell you some frustrations in, in 2016, but just the reputation of Mike Zimmer is so high around the league. People look at him... And what he had to go through to get there and mm-hmm. the success he's had despite what he's gone through mm-hmm. as one of the absolute best coaches in the league. And he knows, too, with his personality, his football guy mentality and all that stuff, that on Hard Knocks, he's going to be really well-liked. And that also it shows a little bit of the hard work. I mean, if you because they have an hour, they can really spend time with stuff. Oh, it's great development. You know? Yeah, it's and they, fantastic. they can really let you know how much it takes to get to week one yes. in the NFL. And I think Zimmer would appreciate that because he probably, and, and everyone in the NFL probably thinks that on the outside, they don't understand what goes into it all. And that's probably true. And that's why I like Hard Knocks because you get to see that. And I, I think, too... Mike's a smart enough guy to, to know that if if he was the head coach on that show, it, it's a recruiting tool because I think players would love it. Yeah, like I think yeah. if you play for if you play for the I don't know Houston Texans, you'd be like, oh, I I like that guy because there's no BS there. Yeah, and and the other thing that I've grown to appreciate about Mike is this: there's very I feel like there's there's a lot of head coaches who don't learn. Like, they're just, this is my way, and I've always done it this way, and I'm not going to change. I think what we saw a couple of years ago in Green Bay with, with the meltdown and the players basically, the defensive backs deciding to do their own thing for a series or two series, and the fact that he came back and said, I need to learn. 
Like he didn't he didn't say players are at fault. I'm going to cut guys who don't listen to me and I'm just mad. He came back at the end of that year and essentially said I'm going to find out what went wrong here. I think players appreciate that. And I don't know how many real long-time football people would ever do that. I mean, that strikes me as something that that NBA coaches present day, not Tibbs, but Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr strikes me as the type of guy who would say, I screwed that up and I don't know why, but I'm going to find out. For, for Zimmer to get up at that press conference and acknowledge that and say that I'm going to talk to players and I'm going to find out, to me, was really impressive and really non-old-school football type of guy. So Zimmer and I also talked about a little yesterday about like RPOs, and he was sort of scoffing a little bit at... You know, the challenge of facing RPOs because he was saying, like, it's not that different from when teams used to line up under center and throw quick routes. Just, like, take the snap and throw it quick over the middle or something like that, and you sort of defend it the same way. But it's really interesting that any sort of trend you ask Zimmer about in the league or that has even happened over the last 20 or 30 years, he's going to not only know what you're talking about, but he will also know how it's defended. And that is a product of learning and adapting and defensive coaches. I think it's defensive coaches that you see last the longest a lot of times, like your Dick LeBeau or even Dom Capers. I mean, it sort of ran out of gas, but they also didn't have a lot of talent. But Capers, how old was he? Yeah. Still still out there doing it. Wade Phillips, Zimmer's in his 60s. I, part of it is that in order to stick around, if you're gonna if you're that old, you probably had to adapt a bunch of times to what offenses do. And Zimmer... I think has figured out how to carry that over to head coaching. Mm -hmm. And he said time and time again that it took him, and and even admitting to this is sort of surprising for a football guy, that it took him three years to really know how to do this job. That it's that complicated when it comes to beyond just the football scheme. I buy that completely. I buy that completely. In fact, I will will give you a media example. And this, this is going to seem small. Uh, but to me, it's the evolution of him as a coach. Do you remember when uh, it was probably his second year, I think, they went in and played Arizona, and Matt Venzel, who covered the team at that time for the Strib, and I think this was a year before you came here, uh, he had asked Mike something about Terrence's role in, in the defense, and Mike had dismissed it, and it, it involved either Terrence starting at safety or playing that position because the uh, Vikings were were had injuries at the spot. Anyway, long story short, uh, Newman started at safety, and Venzel was very upset that he felt that he had been lied to. Now, once yes. again, I say it's sports lying, so I I don't care. Uh, but Zimmer got up to the podium or or his next press conference after that and essentially apologized, apologized for lying about it. Hmm. I don't think he does that now. No, and I don't doesn't. think he needs to. But but it's just that stuff. I think. I think as a defensive coordinator, it's a totally different world, and it's a very important job, and you need to do the right things, but you could be a much different person. Uh, in, in fact, a guy that covered the Bengals, and when Mike was the DC there for the Inquirer, told me one time Mike's name came up in, in a head coaching search, and I forget when it was, but it might have been a, it might have been during the preseason or late in, in a year. I think it was late, Collar. And Zimmer told him, and he's like, like texted Mike and said, I need to talk to you about this. And Zimmer said, meet me at halftime in the bowels of the stadium, and I will talk to you. 
Like, think about that for a second. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you texted Zim now and said, I got a really important question, he ain't going to say, Hey, caller, meet me in the bowels of U.S. Bank Stadium and let's talk. So I think it's interesting that he said it took three years because I can completely see that as far as all the intricacies and details and things and sort of knowing where, where the head coaching line is drawn as opposed to the coordinator or position coach line. I think it's you know so yep it makes sense yep. and he has had to and maybe we've gotten to that point um, that he finally sort of understands the balance of working with the media on a daily basis uh, it's a lot I mean you go from a defensive coordinator stands at the podium one day a week and they go so what do you think of the upcoming opponent well you know they're a good team okay yep. so what do you think of this player on your defense well he's a good player and then the, ten minutes and that's it Zimmer talks to the media four times a week and. It's questions about everything all the time. And when you lose, you get even more of those questions and criticisms. And not all of them are going to be right. And that's the one thing where I don't think he's fully understood it yet. And maybe they never will. Mm -hmm. And maybe all of us just hate to be criticized anyway. But, like, the criticisms are sometimes going to be wrong. Like, I felt that when people said they went to Philadelphia and quit or or something like that or just pulled a no-show, I felt that was wrong. Last year, you mean? Yeah, it was inaccurate. They oh, got yeah. they got no, out the, they got out schemed. Yeah, they didn't. And know they got dominated game. by the league's best offensive they, line, and the more talented team won the football game in Philadelphia. Yep. that's what happened. Yep, they didn't not show up. They it wasn't the Minneapolis miracle hangover. It wasn't any of that stuff. And yep, I'm sure somewhere someone wrote like, oh, they pulled a no show, and they you know whatever. But the reality was. The other team had more talent on the offensive and defensive line, and that's what ultimately won out. And so if you're a head coach and you know the reasons you lost and you read or you hear people saying other you know things, you have to somehow learn to deal with it's not always going to be right what the criticisms are of you on the outside. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.